The John Morris Show, episode 56. 7654321. And each week, I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice, and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival on Udemy.com, where you can learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, mobile apps, and more inside one convenient course so you can shortcut the time it takes to start earning your full-time income as a web developer. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive 85% discount on the course by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. That's johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. DC. By the way, if you don't know, we are on iTunes and SoundCloud. So if you want to catch the podcast over on your Apple device, then you can subscribe to us on iTunes, johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes, or you can subscribe using your Android device at johnmorrisonline.com slash SoundCloud. So if you prefer those devices over YouTube, be sure to head over there and subscribe of course, we're all set up for Google Play as well once they release their podcasting platform. It'll be pretty cool. You'll be able to subscribe to podcasts right there inside of Google Play on your Android device. So we're all set up for all that. Once, of course, that's released, I'll I'll be sure to share those links with you, but I don't, of course, have them right now. So again, if you if you prefer those platforms for the podcast, head on over there and subscribe over there. If you wouldn't mind leaving me a review, I'd really appreciate that. Now, this is the final podcast of the year. The next time you hear from me, it will be the new year. So uh, if I haven't yet, I want to make sure officially say Happy New Year. I hope that this year has been a great one for you and next year is even better. I'm really excited myself for the upcoming year. I've learned a lot over this last year. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit here in the podcast And I'm really excited to take some of the things that I've learned and apply them to this new year. And I hope that you are doing the same. Now, coming up on this podcast, uh, got a number of things for you. Again, I'm really excited about the show. I think it's going to be a really great show of a good way to cap off 2015 and take a look towards 2016, which is something I think all of us are doing a little bit this time of year. So I'm going to be talking uh, about some things in the news, Samsung expanding its payments online. Again, I talked about mobile payments before, the fact that Samsung is moving online, some of the stuff that Google's been doing with Chrome and the integration with uh, Google Wallet and mobile and so forth. I think these are important things. So I'm going to talk about that and what it means for web developers. Also, Forbes released its uh, kind of a year-end post or article, Web Design Trends to Watch in 2016. I actually think these are some really good ones, so I'm going to be going through those and talking about those a little bit. Also, in our mindset section, I'm going to be talking about the risk-taker's mindset 
and capitalizing competitive industry, which web design, web development, every day becomes more and more competitive. It's already highly competitive, but it becomes more and more competitive because more and more people are becoming attracted to this industry. So the, the, the way that you need to think in order to capitalize on that industry, and I have a really, really good example from an email I received that I'm going to walk through. Uh, also in our tech section, sending form data via email using PHP. This is a question that I got recently. It's also one that I've got quite a bit before. I don't actually have a tutorial where I show that specifically. I have one on uh, handling forms. I also have one on handling email, but I don't have the the two combined into one thing. So I'm going to talk through that a little bit and I'm going to point you to a tutorial that I think is going to help you. I, that's really good and I think is going to help you get that set up. Also in the freelancing section, the CEO of Upwork uh, recently posted an article that I think is good for us to look at as freelancers. It's the four trends that will change the way we work by 2021. And again, looking through the advice here, I think it's really good stuff. And so I'm going to talk through that again as well. And finally, as always, we're going to do our Q&A. But before we get to all that, being that this is the end of the year, we have New Year's coming up, I know a lot of you are probably thinking about New Year's resolutions. So let's talk a little bit about that and something to consider before you write your New Year's resolutions. Now, I wrote an article last year around this time that talked about, it was really kind of the same thing. It talked about really the three goal setting or New Year's resolutions traps that people tend to fall into that I found myself falling into. And I'm going to, I'll post a link to that. I wrote it over on Medium and their, their URLs are really long and complicated. So I'll post a link to that over on the show notes page for this episode, which is will be johnmorrisonline.com slash 56, since this is episode 56. Definitely worth going through and reading. I, I went back and read it myself. And uh, again, the advice for me, just for myself, uh, I thought was very pertinent and, and uh, something that I want as I go through my New Year's resolutions and look to 2016, I'm going to be looking at. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about that here in in this podcast. Again, definitely worth reading the article as a whole, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about it here. Now, the three traps that I outlined there were one was results-oriented goals, two, planning for perfection, and three, sharing your goals. Now, some of those may seem a little odd to you, so let me walk through those uh, quickly and and really kind of update what I've learned over the last year based off taking this approach to my New Year's resolutions a year ago. So results-oriented goals. The reason that's a trap is because most people set the goal. They say, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to lose 20 pounds in the next year or in the first three months of this year or whatever it is. And that's it. They really have no plan for achieving it. It's just, I want this goal and I'm going to figure out how to do it. And so they try to kind of wing it or shoot from the hip as they go after that goal. Goals are great, but if you have no plan for achieving it, then they really become kind of pointless because you don't have any way that you're actually, there's nothing you're actually changing about what you do on a daily basis that's going to help you get there. And so I think ultra results-oriented goals are, are a bit of a trap. People think they, that they set that goal and then they'll just work hard and get there, and that, that usually never happens. 
The second trap, of course, is planning for perfection. The reason that's a trap is because life happens. I've done this, I don't know how many times where I, I set a goal, I come up with this perfect plan for achieving it, and then life happens. Things happen. You get sick, you have holidays, you have kids, you have family. Things happen. And so you need to set up your goals in a way where you will achieve them whether, no matter whether life happens or not, right? They, the plan, it can't be so that the plan has to go perfectly according to plan for you to reach your goal. If, the, if your plan has to go perfectly in order for you to reach your goal, you're never going to reach your goal. Finally, the third one is sharing your goals. And I see a lot of people recommend this in terms of accountability, and I can see that point. But oftentimes what pa- happens is people share their goal and they think that's it, that that simply having a goal is is a noble thing. And you know they kind of get the – it's almost like they get the emotional benefit of achieving the goal without achieving it. Right, people, you'll you'll post it on Facebook. You know, I have all sorts of friends who'll post on there. Go, oh, awesome, that's great, and you'll get kind of the social benefit without actually having done anything other than set the goal. So, and and the reality of it is, is if you don't do anything to achieve the goal, actually achieve the goal, the 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 real benefit, the tangible benefit, never comes. If you don't lose those ten pounds, you still have those extra ten pounds that you had on, and so. I think people share sometimes because they value social benefits over actual tangible tangible benefits. So I think those are three traps that we can fall into. Now, I'm not saying that you don't do those things. I'm saying you be careful when the, these things and, and, and setting your goals not to to fall too prey to, to, to these things. Now, over the last year, having taken this approach and, and changed the way I, I've done my goal setting and my New Year's resolutions, there's a few things that I've learned. The reality of it all is it's not about goals. It's about habits. It's about what are you actually going to change in your daily life to get to those goals. And so what habits are you going to cultivate this year? That's the question that you should be asking. Now, again, you could tie those to goals. But if you say I'm going to lose 10 pounds and you don't identify, hey, these are the two or three habits I need to change in order to have any chance of reaching that goal, nothing's going to happen. So last year for me, when I looked at habits, these were the habits that I looked at specifically related to my business. So I wanted to start posting more regularly to YouTube and to my blog. And I've definitely done that. Uh, I wanted to start promoting my content more consistently and get better at, at actually promoting it both paid and free promotion and so forth. And I wanted to create more systems in my business. I wanted it to become more systemized and automatic as opposed to me always kind of shooting from the hip. Now, the result of that has been a couple things. One, everything I do has a template. This podcast has a template. Every promotion I do, every video I do, everything, every email I send, everything has a template because I've really worked on creating systems in my business for everything that I do. So I have temp- all sorts of templates for everything from the content to the the YouTube poster to the promotion strategy, et cetera. It's all templated out. Uh, and as a result, I post much more because uh, I, I have a plan already in place. I have a template I'm going to follow. These podcasts, I you know it, they become so much easier because I, I know exactly what, what I need to do for each one. As a result of all of that, I've nearly tripled my YouTube views. I've more than tripled my content-related revenue. So the revenue, not freelancing, not 
you know, uh, any of the other work that I do code wise, just the, the revenue related to the content that I create, I've more than tripled that. And my mailing list has more than doubled as well. So if I were to sit back and set goals last year, all those things I just mentioned were probably things that I would have been, yeah, those are things I want. But how was I going to get there? And so by focusing more on the habits I was going to change, I, I've more than reached the result. I, I never would have said, oh, I want to triple my YouTube views last year. I might have said I want a 50% increase or double it. I wouldn't have imagined I could have tripled my content-related revenue. There's no way. I know what my goal was last year for my content-related revenue, and I'm far beyond any goal that I would have had. So by focusing on habits, I actually got further than I would have had I just set some goals and tried to work really hard to get them. So the, the point here is that results come from changing habits, not from setting a goal and just working hard towards it. Yes, you should have goals, but as soon as you look at those goals, what habits do you need to change in order to get there? What are you going to change about what you do on a daily basis in order to reach your goals? So when you're thinking through your New Year's resolutions, don't just set a resolution. Develop and look at what habits you're going to change in order to get there. All right, as I said, coming up next in our new section, we'll be talking about Samsung Pay and its expansion into online shopping. Also, Forbes' web design trends to watch in 2016. After that, we'll get into our mindset section, the risk-taking mindset, sending form data via email. Uh, in our freelance section, the trends that will change the way we work by 2021. And of course, as always, our Q&A. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. Here's a quick one for you. We all know how important creating blog content is to attract new clients to your web design business. But oftentimes, those first few members of your audience can be difficult to get. Well, I want to help try and get you over that hump and help you get your first few followers. Now, I have a, an audience of over 20,000 YouTube subscribers, email list subscribers, and roughly 30,000 visitors to my website each and every month. And I'd have no problem promoting your website to that audience and helping you get those first few visitors. Now, to get the details on this, you'll have to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity, but you'll need to do it before you actually start your blog. So head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity, and let me help you get those first few visitors and those first few members of your audience. Welcome back to The John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris. This segment, we're going to dive into a little news, things I think that are pertinent that I think us web developers should be paying attention to. So the first thing that I came across in the last week was the news that Samsung Pay or Samsung plans to expand its pay platform into online shopping in 2016. And so it's essentially going to become a rival for PayPal. Now, I had mentioned an episode or two ago about the mobile payments and how much more people are using mobile payments and spending this year on their Christmas shopping using mobile payments and how I thought that was important because I thought that, or I, th I think that 
mobile payments are going to become bigger and bigger and bigger. People are going to be using their phones more and more and more to browse websites and ultimately buy things. And the clients who are going to hire you, the companies that you're going to work for are going to be asking you to build these kinds of things and that there's an opportunity for a forward-looking developer or developers to see what's coming, to learn how to do this before everyone else and capitalize on it by getting those jobs or getting that work through freelancing or whatever it may be and profiting from knowing that ahead of everybody else. Well, this is just really another cog in that wheel, so to speak. With Samsung planning to move into online shopping and rival PayPal, it's not just the mobile device now. Now it's every device that someone can access the web through. And I would imagine that the two are going to be integrated. Now, I know with Google Wallet or Android Pay that the cards that I have in my Android Pay device on my phone also show up in Chrome. And so uh, I have to enter the little code, the three-digit code on the back, the security code, in order to use that card online. But I didn't. I never entered those cards into Chrome itself. I put them in my Android Pay in there, my Google Wallet, and now they just are there online. So Google's already kind of doing this. And more and more, what people are going to want to be able to do is go to a website and be able to go to the payment form and just have their payment option right there that's already in their phone and on their device and they don't have to enter a bunch of new information. You know how annoying it is every time you have to use or that information or enter that information. And so they just want to be able to pay right in there with what they already use. That That's going to happen. And so this is just another cog in that wheel or another indicator that that's coming. And so now I don't know what ultimately it's going to look like. That's the hard thing to predict. I don't know who's going to win this payment war. I don't know exactly what the experience is going to be like. But somebody's going to figure that out. And there are going to be developers who are going to be required to to build that. So, again, this is an area where I think as a developer, you can be looking to up your skills, to hone your skills, and be able to take advantage of an opportunity that's coming. I don't think it's necessarily here yet. But I do think it's coming and I think it's worth looking into some of this stuff and how it all works. I can't tell you all that because I ha- I myself haven't done that. But uh, again, I think it's worth looking into and this is an opportunity for web developers to take advantage of. The other little bit of news that's kind of, uh, you know, big headline that I've seen out there was Forbes released an article, their web design trends to watch in 2016. And I actually thought this was pretty accurate. I agreed with a lot of the trends that they mentioned and think that these are going to be things to pay attention to going forward, just based off of my own, the way I use the web and the way I do design and so forth. So we'll go through the four and then we'll talk about some of what they mean. So the first one is natural stock photography. And so Imagery is becoming more and more prevalent online. And I know as a content producer that the imagery that I use 
associated with my comment has a big impact on how it's perceived. And so I'm always looking for really, really good photography to go along with the content that I'm creating. Now, the way that you normally do that is either you have to take the photos yourself, you have to go to a a place where you can buy them royalty-free, or there are a number of sites out there now popping up where you can get stock photography for free. And so I think that this trend is just going to continue to grow. I use a site called Libre Stock, L-I-B-R-E-S-T-O-C-K, and what it does is it actually connects with a number with a number of the different uh, sites out there that offer free royalty free stock photography and allows you to search and then you can click you can see the pictures and you can click through to one and download it from the original site it's a really really handy and I would recommend that being something you check out and if you're not really paying attention to the photography and the imagery that you have associated with your site and the site that you're building for clients I think it's only going to continue to matter more and more and having it be the natural stock photography not the stuff that you can tell is just really canned the second one they mentioned is bold colors so you know you using bold color combinations together in your designs i've always kind of been a fan uh, of this but i do think that the web design for a while went through a trend of kind of becoming a little bit more vanilla for a while as we as we kind of made the switch, you know, we had a lot of bold stuff when back in the day when we were still doing a lot of fixed width designs as we moved into responsive design, maybe went away from that a little bit until the frameworks and the technology cop to the point where now I think you see starting to see designers uh, figuring out how to integrate their bold designs into really this new web that's all about mobile and responsive and so forth. And bold colors are going to be a big part of that. Now, there's not necessarily anything for you to do there uh, other than that's something to pay attention to with your designs. You may have more and more clients asking for that kind of thing or if you provide that thing being that kind of thing, being more and more impressed by it. Also, the rise of material design. I don't think this is too much of, of a, a surprise. I mean, Google's really pushing its material design. If you use the apps and work with the apps that are built that way, they really are pretty intuitive and, and just have a feel of being more professional, more authentic. Uh, and so I think you'll see more and more people starting to move towards that kind of material design for their apps. I think it just works and looks a lot better. The The last one that they mentioned then is micro interactions. And this is really small hints or touches in, in the UX. And uh, I, I, again, I agree that I think this is going to become a, a bigger and bigger thing simply because it can often, the web's becoming more and more and more about experience and the experience that you create as people interact with whatever it is that you're building. And having these kind of micro interactions, these small hints, little small little indi indicators when you say type in an email address, a little green check mark that says, okay, you type that in, that's a valid email address that you typed in or valid format for it. When you type in a password, a little green check box that says, oh yes, it meets all of the needs. Or you can do playful things like, you know, they type in their name into 
a name field and there's a little thing there that says, hello, John, when you type in your uh, the name and so forth, little playful things like that. They're just all about little touches that help put the experience over the top. As the technology has progressed, how we've kind of figured out the major things, I think you're going to see more and more of these little touches being added into uh, web pages and, and applications and so forth. So again, I agree with that one. Finally, really one of my own trends that I see coming that wasn't mentioned in the article, uh, but I think is important and really kind of fits with a lot of this, and that is the continued slimming down of websites and applications. The refining is probably the best word of the websites and applications. And so instead of trying to pack in a bunch of functionality and just cram in everything that that you can, whether it's an application whether it's a website, whatever it is, you, you'll see more and more of highlighting the most important things and then making them work really, really well. A good example of this is LinkedIn. LinkedIn has recently come out with a new phone app. And really, that's what it's all about. If you've used their old app, it was, I mean, there was tons of stuff in there, but it's really kind of clunky and hard to use. All the different things, the things that you could do didn't necessarily make sense. Some of them weren't really great for an experience on a mobile device. And so LinkedIn went through and really kind of streamlined the app, worked on making it a lot better. I wouldn't say it's perfect yet, but it's certainly better than what they had before. And I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see more apps, more websites really slimming down and focusing and trying to instead of trying to do a hundred things decently or, or or good, they're gonna do ten things really, really, really well. And I think that trend will continue. So that's something to keep in mind as you're building websites and applications. You'll see clients uh, looking for that kind of thing or appreciating that that kind of thing when when you build things for them. So those are some trends uh, as we look forward into 2016 that I think we'll continue to see grow uh, and and will be a big part of 2016. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the risk takers mindset. And I'm talking uh, really kind of get into it relates to the trends that we're talking about now and really about capitalizing in a competitive industry. So that's coming up next. Also later, sending form data via email. We'll dive into that a little bit. We're going to get into some freelance, the four trends that will change the way we work by 2021, an article by the Upwork CEO, Stephane Casserill. Probably didn't say that right, but uh, we'll dive into his article a little bit. And of course, as always, our Q&A. You're listening to The John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Ebates, where you can earn cash back on your online purchases from major retailers like Amazon, eBay, Walmart.com, and more. John Morris Show listeners can get your free account by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash Ebates. Welcome back to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris, and in this segment, the mindset section, we're going to talk about the risk-taking mindset, and why it is so necessary for capitalizing on the opportunities that constantly come up, really in any industry, but especially web development industry. Now, this was sparked by an email that I received and someone asking for 
advice, but the context around them asking for advice was really pretty cool and I think illustrates well a mindset mindset that really a lot of us, myself included, could take on a lot more. So let me explain a little bit here. So the email I received said, I'm starting my first programming job Monday. No mentors, just me and another to teach ourselves. We are building a system for a huge potato shipping receiving wash plan. Time and attendance, fleet management, shipping receiving, etc. All to be interactive with employees and needs to be able to connect via wireless and possibly cellular. Any advice? So uh, the thing that I think is really cool about this is the fact that uh, this person would take this job in the first place. Not, it's their first programming job. They don't have any mentors and they have to teach themselves and they don't know uh, this is being done in Java. They don't know Java. Now, some people might say that that's dumb uh, to take that. And, you know, maybe you can make that argument. But I really, really like this approach because it it shows someone who's, this is a risk. I mean, this could blow up in their face. But it shows someone who's not afraid to be aggressive. And any more that's a mindset that we all need. And the reason why is this industry is already fairly highly competitive, but it's becoming more and more competitive. And the reason why is because the world's changing. Everything's becoming more and more dependent on technology and on the internet. And we are the people behind the scenes making all of that happen. And so more and more people are getting into this industry. There's a bigger and bigger push to find people to get into this industry. And so in order to be successful, you have to be more and more aggressive. You have to be willing to take risks more. Now, I think it's important that you take calculated risks. Obviously, not every risk is created equal. Uh, maybe this is a, a little bit at the far end of the spectrum <laughs> in terms of aggressiveness, but I still like it. Uh, I think we all can learn from this and take something from it and find ways that we can all be a little bit more aggressive in what we're doing uh, in order to capitalize on the opportunities that are there before us. I mean, I mentioned this early about the opportunities that mobile payments are going to be bringing. I'm going to talk a little bit later about freelancing and some of the trends that are changing the way that we work. And all of that, underneath all of that, requires an aggressive mindset uh, and a bit of a risk-taking. Like, the world has changed. Nobody's going to hand you anything. If you want something, you have to go out and you have to take it. And so uh, we need that aggressive mindset. All right, so that'll wrap it up for this segment. Coming up next, we're going to be talking sending form data via email. We'll get into some freelance, talking the four tra trends that will change the way we work. And, of course, as always, our... Q&A. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. John Morris here for the complete web developer course by Rob Percival on udemy.com. Now here's the deal with this. Do you ever get frustrated constantly searching the internet for tutorials to learn how to code? 
Are you worried that learning how to code is taking longer than it should? Do you just wish you could learn everything in one convenient place so you can get on with earning your living as a web developer? Well, that is exactly why Rob created the Complete Web Developer Course. Everything you need to know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps in one convenient course. And you know it works because Rob has over 183,000 students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy. Now here's the best part. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive, and this is just for you guys only, an exclusive 85% discount on the course simply by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. So look. Quit pulling your hair out trying to find good tutorials on the web. Do the smart thing and hit up my man Rob's complete web developer course with the slick 85% discount right now. Visit johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc and you'll be all set. Welcome back to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris. This segment, we're going to dive into a little tech and talking sending form data via email. Now, I decided to do this particular topic because I've gotten a few emails on it and I don't actually have one where I show sending form data via email specifically. I have one on processing form data but storing it in a database. I also have one on sending emails but not the two combined. So I thought I would uh, help you out a little bit with that because I've been getting these questions and also point you to an article, a tutorial, not mine, but a really good one that I think will help you get uh, where you need to go when it comes to sending email from a web form. All right, so I will link to that article over on johnmorrisonline.com slash 56, which is the show notes page for this episode. However, let me walk through this just a little bit so that you can get an idea of what you need to do. So the first thing that you need when sending form data via email is you need the form. Now, a lot of people are already at this point and and have created this and they're now just trying to figure out what to do with that form data. However, there are a couple key things with the form when you're gonna be processing that data. The first one is the uh, the well. The first one is the the method that you're going to use to submit that data. So you can use get or post. Most of the time, you're going to be using the post method, uh, and so you would simply in your form, your actual form tag, you would do method equals post. The next one is the action, and so this is where you're actually going to send that form data. So when you submit the form, whatever you put in the action, in the form tag, in the the action parameter, that's where the data is going to get sent. Now, if you leave that blank, it's going to, the page will actually refresh right back to the same page that the form is on. And that form data will be sent to that page or posted to that page, same page for you to access on that reload. If you put in an actual URL, then when you submit the form, you'll be taken to that URL and the form data will then be sent to that page and available 
for processing there. So whatever you put in the action block is going to determine where you go when you hit submit and where that form data uh, actually goes. Right, so you need to make sure that you have those two things set up properly. And then finally, all of your inputs uh, will have a name parameter. And so those name parameters are, are, the, are what's actually going to fill out your post array. So when you submit form data, you in PHP, there's a super global that will be available. And it's dollar sign, underscore, and then capital P-O-S-T, post. Right, so you can act when you have form data that's submitted in the page that's processing it, in the page that you set in the action parameter for your form, you can, you can, that, that, uh, super global, that variable post will be available and you can then grab the data that was submitted. Now, again, what actually fills out that array, the, the, uh, ele each element in that array, will be the names of your input. So let's say you have name and email. You'll have an array. Uh, the post variable will be an array and it'll be the, uh, the key will be name and then the value for that will be the name that was entered into the box. And then if you have email, the next key in your array will be email and the value for email will be what it was, whatever was entered in the box. Okay, so when you're building out your form, you need to keep that in mind that you're gonna be accessing your data that way. Now, once you've got that form all built out and you have the, the, the action set and so forth, then you need to create a thank you page or a processing page for it. So again, we talked about that this is the action page that you're gonna be setting in your form. So in that thank you page, then there's a couple things that you need to do. The first is you need to collect the form data on that thank you page. So you need to actually, uh, you know, use that post variable that that we talked about um, that that's being sent there. And you're going to use that to do the next thing, which is to build your email message. So you want your email, uh, you know, the message that you're sending via email oftentimes will contain some of the form data that was submitted. So if you have a contact form, oftentimes you'll send that to an email address, like your own email address, and you'll include whatever was submitted if there's some sort of message. Uh, and so you're going to build out that email message and you include whatever data from your form that you need using that post array that, that we talked about. All right, so once you've built your email message, then you're gonna send the email using the mail function in PHP. Again, I'll link to these uh, videos over on johnmorrisonline.com slash 56. I have a whole tutorial where I show actually show you building the email message and sending the email. So you can check that out over, over there. I'll link to that particular tutorial, along with the tutorial on creating a form and submitting that form that goes into some more of the post data stuff. But once you've sent the, sent the email, then on the thank you page, you need to display whether it was successful or not. So the uh, mail function in PHP returns true if it was uh, sent successfully and false if not. And uh, you can then display a success or fail message based on what it gives back to you when you send the email. Then you can also add an email header. So a lot of times you want to send HTML emails or you want to add in um, uh, reply to email headers. And there's lots of different scenarios why you want to, where you'd want to add, add those in. Again, the tutorial I'm going to link to uh, from lynda.com 
talks goes in depth about email headers. My tutorial from YouTube that I'm going to link to also goes in to depth with that as well. And then the final piece is thinking through security. So white, maybe getting into whitelisting or blacklisting certain things that can be submitted through your form using a captcha to avoid uh, bots spamming it or a honeypot. Uh, those are some of the things that you're going to want to think through as well. So those are the basic steps that you're going to want to go through to sending form data via email. Again, I'm going to link you to the article over on lynda.com, link you to my tutorial on submitting post data and my tutorial on sending email inside of PHP. So if you're wanting to send form data via email, you'll definitely want to go over to johnmorrisonline.com slash 56 to the show notes page and access those tutorials so that uh, you can see exactly how to do that. All right, coming up in the next section, we're going to talk to four trends that will change the way we work by 2021. This was an article by the Upwork CEO uh, that uh, really, I think, is hits home and, and I want to walk through here. So that's coming up in the next segment. And then, as always, we'll wrap up with our Q&A. You're listening to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer. But your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than six bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com slash Bluehost. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris. And in this segment, we're going to be talking a little freelance and specifically an article that I was reading here recently from the CEO of Upwork over on Fast Company called The Four Trends That Will Change the Way We Work by 2021. And in it, he explains four emerging work trends and what they'll mean for professionals and organizations. And and specifically, I'm concerned about what it's going to mean for people like you and I, because web development is really an industry that's highly freelanced. And so this is something that's, you know, going to really affect us. And the CEO of Upwork probably has some insights that we might want to pay attention to. Now, some of these will apply to you and some of these won't. But I think uh, one, all of these will apply to everybody, you know, in one way or another. So uh, the first one is what he call he says, what he calls second tier cities will claim their place. So the idea is, is big urban centers like New York City, San Francisco, Paris, Tokyo, they've always been kind of hubs for opportunity, but that by 2021 and as freelancing and stuff grows, that they're no longer even, they're no longer necessary or even good for the kind of work that's going to be done. And cities like Denver and Austin and a number of others are becoming new hubs and the reason is it's simply to cheaper to live and do business there and that technology is making it far easier for people to live in those places uh, other than the large hubs and still have access to jobs that they otherwise wouldn't. And what that really means to me, what I, what I get from that is, is freelancing is something that's going to allow you to work isn't going to dictate where you live. And I've experienced this this myself in 
you know, we've moved several different times and me finding a job has never, hasn't been a consideration for a long time. And so it really allows you to kind of plan your life how you want and be able to, gives you the freedom to move around how you want and still have your quote unquote job. And that's going to become more and more prevalent right now. It's kind of a lucky few that get to do that, but more and more, it's going to start to be all of us. And that's going to probably really shake up the, the, the way the world is a little bit, because you may see big population centers where people leave out of there. Uh, the only reason they were there was for the opportunity that was there. And, and as that becomes less of an incentive, those population centers, you know, might start to dwindle. So don't be surprised to see that. And, you know, if you're in one of those places and you're relying on them as being a hub, uh, maybe you might consider that in the future they may not be. So that's something to 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 take into account. Next is he says nano degrees and nano jobs will become more common. Uh, and so the, the life of a skill uh, is so short that workers can no longer specialize for life in only one thing. And so this is changing both the way we learn and the way we work. And so if the need for greater specialized expertise is growing, it's at least partly because the demand for those skills is changing more rapidly than ever. This is something I've alluded to several times in this podcast and earlier ones about in in this industry, as rapidly as it's changing and new technology is coming, there's always a period of time where there's an opportunity for you to capitalize on something new that's coming out, to be ahead of the curve. And as you know the as work the way we work changes and the different skills and types of jobs that people are looking for uh changes and new stuff's coming out so constantly that's going to become more and more the way it works uh and so being able to capitalize on that is going to be something is really going to become the way uh that you do business going forward Next, he says, job seekers will be choosier. So for various reasons, uh, many people are looking more for more than just a big salary or perks. They want work that aligns with their values. They want to design a lifestyle. They want to be able to have meaning and achieve goals. And so he says, ultimately, companies will need to get used to the idea that professional growth means more than simply growth and in income. And again, this is something for myself that you know, uh, has really been a big point of focus in that I I get to work with the people that I like to work with and I get to work on the projects that I like to work on. Uh, And this isn't just job seekers seeking jobs. This is developers or freelancers choosing which clients they work with. You know, I was at a conference recently, I think I've said this before, but uh, the line that was used there was your life, your business, your way or my life, my business, my way. And more and more that's uh, becoming true and you're going to be able to to really be choosy about who you work with and what you work on. And you should be. You should only work with people you like working with and on things that you like working on. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable and really you're not going to do your best work as a result of that. The next one is the expansion of entrepreneurship. And this is, I think, a big one and something that a lot of people in development community, I think, are overlooking, especially people new getting into it. Uh, he says that there's a growing segment of people who are turning into entrepreneurs in a different sense without having 
a big idea or creating a project product rather than founding a startup they're simply working independently as freelancers or by teaming up with them one another this is me right that's that's exactly what i do uh that's how i make my living is working independently uh as a freelancer and also i work with a, a team of other developers as well but i do a number of different things uh in order to earn my income and more and more people are going to be turning to this. And really, I think uh, going forward, it's, it's going to become the way we do things. And so my overall thoughts on all of this and what I think is important with this is something I mentioned earlier. And that is taking an optim- opportunistic approach and being able to capitalize on the skills before they come mainstream. And in order to do that, you have to get good at learning new things. You have to be good at learning in and of itself because there's so many new things that are constantly coming out technology-wise for you to capitalize on. If it takes you up forever to learn those skills, you'll never learn them in time to be able to capitalize on them. And so new skill learning and being able to do it rapidly is paramount. Also, mastering marketing yourself. You have to be able to sell yourself as the the uh, as the expansion of entrepreneurship happens. A big part of that is you being able to sell yourself, your services, your products, etc. And so you have to get good at it. It's it's just going to become mandatory in the future. So if you're someone who thinks that you can just put your head down uh, and not have to do any of that stuff, that's not going to work for for too much longer. Uh, because we're all going to be start working and moving much more independently, and even if you know you're you're working for a company, it's still going to be the case. My brother worked for IBM, huge company. Well, the way that company worked is you didn't you weren't hired to a set job. You were hired into basically a pool of labor, and there would be new jobs that would come up, and you could choose which projects you wanted to work on, and when you wanted to work on a job, you would have to go to whoever was managing and running that job and essentially sell yourself in order for them to pick you to be on that team. And that's how every job worked there. Uh, and so big, large companies are doing this kind of thing. And you, you, you're just going to have to get good uh, at selling yourself and be able to tell people how you're different. Because there's so much competition out there and it's o- only growing. How are you different? Uh, and what makes you the one that that they should pick, whether it's as a employee, it's working on their project, it's their, uh, their freelancer for their, their particular project, whatever it is, you have to be willing to sell yourself. And so all the old mantras, they just don't work as well, right? Put your head down, work hard, get a good job. You can't do that anymore. It's, it's not going to work for much longer. You have to keep your head up. You have to see what's coming. You have to learn the necessary skills, market like crazy, and be able to capitalize. One of the things that I always harp on is creating content. I firmly believe it's not going to matter what you do going forward. The ability to create content, be able to speak, uh, to be able to write, to put your ideas down, to communicate. Those things are all becoming more and more important and are going to be really required uh, in the future of whatever work, but especially 
the web development industry. All right, so those are my thoughts, a little bit of my thoughts on freelancing and the four trends that will change the way we work by 2021. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up with our Q&A where I'm going to answer questions that you have asked me. So if you've asked me a question on YouTube, Twitter, via email, etc., you definitely want to pay attention to the next segment because there's a good chance that I'll be answering that question. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So I just realized something. I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, don't worry because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's gonna help you attract new clients for your web design business. In order to take this tutorial, you wanna head on over to johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Again, that's johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris, and in this segment, we're gonna be doing our weekly Q&A where I answer your questions. So let's go ahead and dive right into these. The first one is, how do I deal with undefined index notices? Now, the answer here is it kind of depends where that 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 actual error is coming from. Uh, in some cases, it matters. In some cases, it doesn't necessarily matter. Now, the way to actually get rid of the notice, and I've seen this, uh, some older tutorials I did where I didn't do this check. Uh, I get a lot of questions about this, but if you're getting those uh, undefined index notices, the, really the way that you should handle it is whenever you're going to have a variable that's gonna be an integral part of the rest of the processing of some sort of script, you should check to make sure that that variable is actually set and it has uh, an expected value. So the way to do, the way to handle those notices would be to do use is set in PHP which will check to see if that variable is set or it could be empty uh, to see if it's empty or not. And if then if, of course, if it is empty, you would want to do some sort of error processing. Um, so those are the ways that you you would want to do that. Now, in one of the tutorials, the, the errors come from the fact that uh, it was the CMS tutorial. They're on the home page and part of the script checks to see if there's been a post ID or a category ID set. Well, if you're on the home page, those haven't been set. I didn't do the proper is set checks uh, on that uh, many, many years ago. <laughs> and so you get these these undefined index notices. In that case, it really doesn't necessarily matter. The It's not going to affect the processing of, of the script uh, on the home page there because they're not, it's not supposed to have those. So you know, that could have been written a, a little bit better. Again, that was a tutorial from a long time ago. Uh, and so uh, you can't rag on me too bad there. But uh, that's the way to deal with it. The other thing that you can do is to understand is that those notices, they only show if you have uh, all of your error reporting turned on. Now, most applications, when you actually go to the production site, you're going to suppress notices at the very least maybe even warnings, uh, obviously not fatal errors, 
but you're going to suppress those notices or those those warnings or those errors because there could be all sorts of different reasons why those might show up and if it's not stopping the processing a note a notice isn't going to stop the processing of the script so if it's not going to stop it uh, you really don't need to be showing an error now you should fix your code definitely and and uh, there's something to be said for that but uh, you you can also simply just suppress those notices all right so you can suppress them you can use is set you can use empty it just kind of depends on the context of your particular application where you're using it next up is I'm having trouble submitting PDF documents into a blob field in a MySQL database so has a form that they're creating. They want people to be able to submit PDF documents as a part of that and is trying to store that into a blob field in MySQL. Um, I guess my question with this, and I've actually had this a couple different times, is it seems like people have a lot of trouble doing that. And, I, and my question is, is it necessary to store it into a blob, blob field like that? If you're having that much trouble with it, uh, you know, that's from everything I've seen, that's not really a standard way of doing it. Most of the time when you have files uh, that are, are you, you're working with, that you're letting people upload or whatever, you're going to store them on the file system on your server. Now, I have a tutorial where I show you how to do that. I'll link to that on the show notes page at johnmorrisonline.com slash 56 where I show you how to store the file on your file system. So what you do is you store the file on your file system in your web server, and then you store the location of that file in your database, right? So you create a new record for that particular item. You know, it has an ID and then could have a name. It really depends on the application, but you store the location of wherever that file was uploaded on your server in your database. So when you need to reference it and use it, you can you can link to it appropriately. Um, but trying to actually finagle that PDF document into the blob field isn't necessary. So if you're having that much trouble with it, you might consider what I would call a more standard approach, which is to save the uh, file itself into your file system on your web server. Next one is one I get quite a bit, MySQL or MySQLi. Why do your tutorials use MySQL? I thought that was deprecated. The answer is yes, it is. And the reason that I use MySQL instead of MySQLi is because when I wrote those tutorials, MySQLi didn't exist. So any tutorial of mine that you see where I'm using MySQL, you should substitute in MySQLi or PDO uh, depending on your preference. Now, again, I've created a full tutorial on MySQLi and PDO. So you could uh, very easily adapt any of the scripts that I'm using where I'm using MySQLi. You could use MySQ or MySQL. You could use MySQLi in those um, and adapt them over fairly, fairly easily. So I'll link to that tutorial again on the show notes page, johnmorrisonline.com slash 56, so that you can walk through that if you need to. The other thing about that is I get people, are you going to redo this tutorial it depends on the tutorial, maybe, maybe not, but you know, it's good practice. I, I've always been hesitant about providing source code because a lot of times you get people that just simply copy and paste it and don't really know what it does. This is an opportunity where you know you can learn the ins and outs of interacting with the database. 
this stuff, I, and I, I get, you know, especially if you're new, you're going to have some heartburn with me saying this, but trust me in the grand scheme of everything that you're going to need to learn to be a web developer, this stuff isn't that hard. This stuff isn't the anywhere close to the top of the, the really, really, really hard stuff. So manipulating a database with my MySQLi and switching out you know, MySQL and replacing it with MySQLi is something you should really uh, learn how to do on your own. So I don't know that I'll redo those tutorials simply because uh, I think it's good practice. Now it depends on the tutorial and so forth. At some point I may decide to do that, but uh, there obviously no guarantees on that. So, all right. So those are the, the Q and a questions that I have for this week. If you have a question that you'd like to send me, you can email me john at johnmorrisonline.com. You can tweet me at Twitter, uh, or at JP Morris at, uh, on Twitter. You can also, uh, hit me up on YouTube, youtube.com slash John Morris video. All right, so that'll wrap it up for this episode. I appreciate you giving me you giving me some of your time today. If you would, if you like this episode, if you could please hit that like button, I would really appreciate it. That lets me know what episode you like and don't like. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with the people and communities that you think could benefit it, benefit from it, I'd greatly appreciate that. And as always, if you haven't subscribed, be sure to do so so that you don't miss out on a single episode or tutorial. All right, that'll do it for me today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP Engine. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine, all one word. Check them out. You're going to love your WordPress hosting.